Thank you. Good morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to minister and move in this place. As we turn to your word, we ask that you would challenge, convict. Lord, cause our hearts to love Jesus more today. Cause my heart to burn for Jesus as I leave this place today, Lord. We bless you. Jesus, we say today there's no higher king. No one stands beside you. You stand alone. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 Mark 16, and this is verse 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I want to show you a a portion, a theme of the narrative that I think we miss sometimes of the resurrection. And lead you to to a few points here. First, Jesus was crucified as Passover was approaching. Do you remember Jesus hung on the cross for much of the day, late in the day, but because Passover was coming quickly and it was a high holy pass, uh, a high holy Sabbath because of Passover, they wanted the bodies off of the cross. And so the scripture tells us that the Roman soldiers took a spear and they pierced Jesus in the side. Look with me at John 19 verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Remember that Sabbath began at sundown. For that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and for the other who had been crucified with him. But they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. So because Passover was approaching, the Sabbath was approaching, and it was a high Sabbath because of Passover, the Jews said to Pilate, get the bodies off the cross before sunset. And so they went to the two men that were being crucified with Jesus, and they broke their legs. Because as a man hung on a cross, he'd have to hold himself up to breathe. And the moment that his body sank, he would essentially die from strangulation or asphyxiation. He wouldn't be able to breathe. And so the two other men were still kind of struggling. And so the soldiers broke their legs so that they fell. And the moment they fell, it would only be a a minute or two before they passed. But Jesus' body was already hanging low. He had already died. So the soldiers take a spear. They pierce him through the side and out spills blood and water. Most likely physicians say um, they caught his heart. And there's a water sack around the heart that was spilled. 
Now, what we miss is from this moment, the law says that a, a body is not to be prepared for burial on Sabbath. And so they're rushing to get the bodies off the cross before the sun sets. There's a clock ticking, right? Clock ticking before Sabbath. And there's only a, a short amount of time before the markets are going to close. They're not going to be able to purchase any supplies. So the scriptures tell us that there were two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3. He was the man who Jesus said, uh, Nicodemus was the Pharisee who would come to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen with him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and so Nicodemus and, and Joseph, these two high, dignified Jewish men, they go and they get the body and they're going to rush to prepare the body before sunset. John chapter 19, verse 38 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Nicodemus also uh, take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrhs, aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That is too much. Okay, 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus is a, is a little extra. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. What is the text telling you? Because Sabbath was approaching... The day was, the day was coming to a close. There was a close by tomb. They rushed the body of Jesus over to the tomb and began the preparation. Now again, burial's not permitted as soon as the sun goes down. And so they've got the supplies, they've got the things they need, and luckily they have a nearby tomb. Now this is what we know from history and, and what, what church historians tell us would happen, um, when a body was being prepared for burial. First, the body would be taken to the tomb and the body would be washed. So now Joseph and Nicodemus, these two dignified elder, um, Pharisees are taking the body of Jesus and they're beginning to wash his wounds. Now you need to remember again that the body of Jesus is totally broken, frailed. There's the, the back is torn to pieces. The, the blood is dried because he's hung in the sun all day. The wounds are, you know, there would, there would be flies and things surrounding them as they hung there. And so imagine the, the filth of the body of Jesus and these two men are rushed. And so they begin to wash the wounds. I think they're washing the wounds through their tears and through their frustration. And you know how men are when you're frustrated and emotional. You just push through. You just keep working. And so they're washing the body of Jesus. And then what would have happened once the body was clean is they would have anointed the body with oil, with spices and myrrh. So clean the body and then lather the body in oil and myrrh. Again, Nicodemus brought 75 pounds. That's plenty, okay? And so they began to lather the body of Jesus. And then what they would have done was wrap the body in a white cloth in linen and sealed the tomb. So I imagine they, they did all of this work through their emotion, through their own brokenness. They're rushing to bury the body of Jesus. The, the stone is rolled in front of the tomb, I think, just as the sun begins to set and they breathe a deep breath. We did it. The body of Jesus has been cared for before his burial. Now what we read today were that there were three women, two Marys and Salome, 
who decided that once the Passover was over, they'd have to go back. Because there's no way in God's green earth that those two men buried that body appropriately. They had no female supervision. But they've got to wait for the market to open. So first thing Sunday morning, when the market's open again, the scripture tells us they go and they buy spices. Now, they're walking towards the tomb, and one of them says to another, how are we going to roll the stone away? Now, Nicodemus and Joseph, when they heard that story, felt very justified. At least they had a way to get in. Um, So they're walking towards the tomb. They've bought spices. So they're carrying supplies. I think they probably are carrying some water to rewash the body. They're definitely carrying spices. And possibly they're carrying more linen to rewrap the body. And they intend to go into the tomb to unwrap the body of Jesus, which has now been laying dead for some time, to wash again. Imagine... Imagine what they're expecting, the wounds to be doing. The, what is his flesh doing after sitting for that matter of time? They think that they're going to go in, wash his body, anoint it again, rewrap it to make sure it's done right, because the men surely didn't, and, and then seal the tomb again, which how are they going to roll the stone back in front if they can ever get it open? They ain't thought that through. So now, there, there are essentially three reasons uh, maybe more, three primary reasons that in the, the custom of the day was to wash and then anoint with oil or, or lather in spices. The first reason was, um, the, the first thrust was that in the day, any, any person of, of high importance, any official or dignitary or someone who was greatly loved wouldn't just be kind of thrown in a tomb, but they would be lathered in spices and, and in oil. And that was a sign of love and honor as you, you're caring for a body, the body of an individual who you cherished. And so again, these women are going, Nicodemus had 75 pounds. We don't care. We need to make sure it's done right. Let's go get our own stuff because he probably bought the cheap stuff. You know how men are. Let's make sure it's right. And so they go prepared to honor Jesus as their prophet, to honor Jesus as their miracle worker, they arrive thinking that they'll lather the body in oils again to show that they cherish this man. But when they arrive, there is no body in the cloth. And as far as Jesus is concerned, they can take their oil back to the market and get their money back because he's not a dead dignitary. He's a resurrected king. He's not a dead prophet. He's not just a, a moral teacher who has passed. He is the king of life. And so no oil needed here. Jesus has stood up from the grave, triumphed over death itself. There is no body to unravel. There is no body to wash. That broken, beaten, torn hunk of flesh now breathes again and is already on his way to Galilee. The second reason a body would be anointed with oil or myrrh was to cover up the smell of rotting flesh. Now think here of Jesus on the day he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. Roll away the stone. Do you remember what Mary and Martha say? That, Lord, by now there's a great stink. Now there was no embalming process. They didn't, they didn't handle the dead like 
the Egyptians would have, for instance. Essentially, what history tells us is what they would do in this time period is, again, wash, anoint, wrap a body, and they would leave the body in a tomb for roughly a year. After a year's time passed, either the first son or the closest relative would go back into the tomb and collect the bones. And they would take the bones and then bury them kind of in a wall with the rest of the family. And the tomb would be open to be used again. So here we're told in the text that this tomb has never been used before. Again, do you catch the fact that tombs are being reused? This tomb has never been used before. Um, and, and the process would be essentially to anoint with oil and myrrh and spices to hope that as people walked by, they didn't smell the stink of the flesh that was essentially just left to rot in the tomb. And so they're going to make sure that Jesus is anointed, wrapped, covered, lathered, and then sealed really tight with the linen cloth because it would be disgraceful for people to walk by his tomb and smell the, the, the stink of his rotting flesh. But when they arrive at the tomb... There is no flesh rotting. And again, they can take their oil back to the market and get their money back. Because Jesus is not just another teacher. He's not just a dignitarian. He's not just a prophet or a royal official. His flesh will not decay. The prophet long ago, David, said that God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. And there's no body to rot here. This body breathes again because Jesus is the king over life and over death itself. Take your oil back to the market and get your money back. There's no body here. The linen cloth lies unraveled. There's no broken flesh to care for. Now the last reason that I want to point you to, John Calvin drove this point home hard. This was a practice um, that, that... that some believe was being brought into Judaism, but was also used in other pagan religions. And it's essentially this, that when a loved one or a family member or someone you care for passed, they would, part of the anointing the body with oil would be kind of to comfort the family. They would wash the body with oil and kind of pray, God, don't forget this one. It was kind of as if they were marking the body to say, Lord, they're saying to whatever God they serve, make sure this one is raised on the last day so that we could all be together again. Calvin thinks that it might be what these women are doing as well. As they're washing the body, they would be saying to God, don't forget your prophet. Don't forget your miracle worker. Raise him on the last day so that we can be with him again. Don't let this body lay in the grave forever, but one day lift it up again. And here we remember the words of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. He does not need resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no need to anoint him and to pray that God wouldn't forget him. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who speaks and causes dead things to breathe again. And so he doesn't need to be remembered for the last resurrection. When he calls Lazarus and tells him to get up, the man gets up. And when he's ready to stroll out of that tomb by God, he'll stroll out of that tomb. He doesn't need to be anointed and marked for the last day. He is the last day. He is the way, the truth, and the life. When he speaks, creation comes forth. When he opens his mouth death itself would break 
Take your oil back to the market and get your money back because there's no anointed oil needed here. He is the anointed one. They thought that they'd come and bathe his body in oil, anoint him, but they, they've realized now that in just a few days, Jesus will anoint them with the power of the Spirit and commission them to carry the message to the ends of the earth that he conquered death itself. Hallelujah. Now the angel says, Go tell Peter and the disciples that he's headed to Galilee. You'll see him there. And Mark shows us another miraculous event that takes place on the day of Jesus' resurrection. He says, these women didn't say a word. That was a joke. You get it? They didn't talk? You missed it. Three women didn't talk. The scripture says they were gripped by astonishment and fear, that they trembled. Now they realize that they thought they were coming to care for the body of a man. They thought he was their beloved teacher and even a beloved prophet and that they wanted to honor his rotting flesh. They thought he was like everyone else. Of course, he said he would raise from the dead, but no one really knew what he meant. They thought We'll just go care for his body, shed some tears, and have some closure. But now they tremble with fear, and they shut their mouths because they realize that he is not just a teacher. He is God of God, the resurrected one. They have nothing left to say. They scurry back to the market with their mouths shut and just, could I have my money back, please? In the resurrection, he declares, I'm not a dignitarian, I'm not an earthly king, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a, just a prophet or a priest, I'm not an ethics professor who came to teach you how to live life appropriately. I understand that in our churches and in our schools and there are scholars who say, Jesus surely was a great teacher, but I want you to know today that the resurrection declares boldly. He's not Muhammad, he's not Buddha, he's not some other spiritual leader, he is God of God. And the only proper response to the resurrection is to tremble with fear. (laughs) Close your mouth and recognize that this man is the conqueror of all conquerors, the king of all kings, the victor who is victorious above all victors. He is your author and your finisher, the start and the end. He accomplishes everything he sets out to accomplish. He's not common. He is holy, holy, holy. Thrice holy is this Jesus. Worship team, come for me. There is no grave for us to visit There is no monument for us to approach. There are no bones to be seen or honored. The bones that carried Jesus during his earthly ministry are seated in heaven at the right hand of God today. We serve a resurrected king who suffered to atone for our sins. Who bled to wash us who spilled his blood as a ransom to purchase us from hell, from death and sin, who was brutally murdered to adopt us into his kingdom, who raised from the dead to declare to us, I am your God.
he rose to declare to us of his own glory and power and might so that the nations would behold her king, that the nations of the world would become the nations of our God. Receive your resurrected king today with fear and trembling. Open not your mouths and recognize his glory and his holiness. Remember that again, he is not, no matter, I don't care what culture says, culture can say till she's blue in the face, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great teacher, but he wasn't just a great teacher. Great teachers lay in the grave. He's God of God. And one day you'll meet him face to face. You'll stand before that scarred man. And there, many will stand before him with forgiveness and grace. Many will stand before him washed by his own blood. Many he will embrace with the love of a father, a brother, a bridegroom. Those who cling to the cross and put their faith and trust in the resurrection. Others will experience judgment and fear as they stand before the holiness of this Jesus. Bow your knee today. Receive grace and forgiveness today. Don't live in rebellion for another hour. Today's the day of salvation. Receive forgiveness and grace. The scripture teaches plainly that all who put their faith in Jesus, who turn from the old life and trust Jesus, will have everlasting life, will belong to the kingdom of the Father. Their sins will be eradicated, cast as far as the east is from the west. If you stand before God on the last day and you're judged, it won't be because you lived an awful life. It won't be because you've lied, stolen, cheated. The only reason you'll experience judgment is because you've denied Jesus. Don't deny him today. Receive your Lord. Recognize that this is not just a man, but this is God triumphant. You'd stand to your feet. morning as we begin to worship i think there are some of you here your grandma dragged you to church today maybe your grandkids dragged to church i don't know and you've never surrendered your life to christ you're not you would say i'm not a christian i've been around christians today there's an offer on the table the gospel is an invitation today if you would come confess him as lord give him your life the scripture promises that you would have forgiveness and a new heart, and a new life, and an eternity in his presence and in his goodness. The scriptural promise is that all who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord will have life. That's an offer to you today. It's not just for everybody else. What do you do with that offer today? So as we worship, I'm going to ask the worship team to sing. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to make that commitment, receive grace and newness of life, I want to ask you to come to the altars and pray with our altar team. You can leave here forgiven and new. This morning as we sing, if you're struggling with sickness, your body's broken, we believe the Spirit's here. We want to pray and ask the Spirit to heal. If you're struggling with sorrow, depression, anxiety, and fear, 
I want to ask that God would release joy and peace in your life. So as we sing, the altars are open. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to look around to see what everyone else is doing. I want you to come. I want you to come and receive ministry. If you need Jesus today, come. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Come on, sing with conviction today, church. seconds I want you just to pray just to thank him thank him for the cross and for the resurrection we'll say Jesus we are so appreciative today we thank you for newness of life we thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us we thank you that any who come to Christ are new creations the old is past and new has come we love you Come on, tell him I love you this morning. I love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that every life here would be blessed, that every family here would know the sweetness of your presence, that every home would be anointed. And, Lord, we ask that the gospel would permeate this region in power, with transformation power. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, and every saint says amen. Amen, amen. Well, hey, the altars are going to stay open if you need.